The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So take your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. We're going to read from 1, verses 1 through 6. When you find it, please stand. Are we there? Closer in it? Okay. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying... Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Let us pray. My Father in heaven, how wonderful it is to be able to stand here and declare your word to your people. Father, I thank you for this great privilege to be able to do this. I pray that you will give me the strength that I need in this hour to do what you set me to do. Pray for our pastor, Lord, and his wife. Pray that you will put your hand of mercy on them and give them comfort this, this time. Pray for the different people in this church who take on jobs to make sure that your work continues to be done and that we most of all, Lord, try to win souls for you. Pray they will bless us tonight, that we'll learn something new tonight. Bless you, people, Lord, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Every four years, we go through the painful process of electing a president. And that is painful. There are two things that they always talk about. That one is how they're going to improve the economy, and the other one is how they're going to bring peace in the Middle East. And you will think that they learned from by now that it's not possible. It's just not possible. I always wonder what would happen if we could get an honest politician who will walk up to a podium and say, we have a mess in our hands and we can't fix it. But if a man would do that, for sure he will not be elected because the truth is truly painful and nobody wants to hear it nowadays. The proper place for this psalm is at the end of the tribulation. By now, if you have read the book, by that I mean the book, You know that this world is going in one direction, and that is destruction for sure. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. The world has experienced very little peace. You can forget about what you're hearing from the United Nations. Forget about what you're hearing from politicians. You can also forget about what you're hearing from the psychos in the media. They're not telling us the truth. There will never be peace on earth until the Prince of Peace comes to fix the mess we have made. 
because man without God is unable to attain peace. And in the best man on the street, a good moral man, if he doesn't know the Lord, in him is the potential for him to become a monster. If you find people bragging about how good they are, all you have to do is run a test. Poke them in the right places and find out what it will take to make them evil. And I can assure you that in a very short time, they'll tell you how evil they can become. It doesn't take much, really. Psalm 2 is like a drama, like watching a drama play and unfold. And in this drama, man plays his part first. And it has to be that way because in a few short years, he will go to the grave and waste away in a cemetery somewhere. And all the wicked, powerful men that you read about in the books of history, all these men have played their part and are now silent. You'll never hear from them again. Psalm 2 begins with a question. It says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? This word heathen here means nations. That's the nations of the world. And anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile or a heathen. In Matthew 12, verse 21 says this, And in his name shall the Gentiles trust, meaning the nations of the world. Nehemiah 5.8. I hope you have a Bible or keep notes because I, I, I don't have time to stop and, and, and for you to look at this because I have a lot to say. Like I told Melissa, I have a lot to say and not enough time to say it all. So keep, keep, uh, keep notes. Anyhow, Nehemiah 5.8. And I said unto them, We after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen, that will be the nations around them. And will ye even sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. And so the word heathen is applied to the Gentiles. In this case, it means the same thing. If we were to use the language of today, we will say, why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The world has been in oppositions from the beginning, from the fall of Adam, in all generations and in all nations. Kings and rulers, political and religious leaders, don't want anything to do with God. And if you want to know what has, what has taken place, all you have to do is read the books of church history, and you'll find out that millions of people have been put to death simply because they want to worship God, serve God, and spread this news throughout the world. That is the, that is the main issue right there, because we will not shut up and want the whole world to know about Christ. That is the problem. But the question is, why is the whole world so upset and protestant? Both political rulers and religious rulers will one day come together to take counsel or to come up with a plan to stop the Lord Jesus Christ from setting up his kingdom in Jerusalem. Now the rulers of the world already tried this once when they crucified Jesus. But we need to remember that back then Christ came to save sinners and he's coming back this time 
to judge the world. And God allowed the rulers of that time to put his son to death because that was the only way that it was possible. This was an agreement that took place long ago among the Godhead in eternity past in trying to determine God, why God did it this way. God knows that this was the only way. Trying to, to understand in our finite mind why God, it, God, God did it this way, it, you'll never find out. You'll never find it out. We know that salvation is only found in Christ. I know that to an unsaved person, this sounds like narrow-minded. But the Bible teaches that there is no other way. Acts 4, 26 through 28, we read there. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, from who from whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. As you can see there, this was preordained long before we got here. And God is not pacing the corridors of heaven, biting his nails right now, wondering what to do with puny little man. He knows what to do, and he knows how he's going to do it, and when he's going to do it. I find it incredible to think that with all the different religious systems in the world, with all the disagreements, because nobody agrees on anything, a day is coming when all these people will put their differences aside and, come and unite themselves only to try to stop Jesus from setting up his kingdom on this earth. With all the misery that will be going on in the world during the tribulation, you would think that people will turn to Christ, but that's not going to happen. God has set up this, the judgment of the world so perfect that he begins by taking away from people who hate him the ability to see what is right and what is wrong. He sends them a delusion, strong delusion, the Bible says. And that delusion will contribute to their own destruction. In the past few years, we have begun to see what happens when people don't have the ability to think rationally. Everything is upside down. What is right is wrong. What is wrong is right. What is cold is hot. What is hot is cold. Bad is good, and good is bad. Try to get your head around and say, well, what's wrong with these people? The prophet Isaiah had something to say about this way of thinking. And even though these references to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel at that time, it has an application for us today. In Isaiah 5.20 we read, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. You notice who's leading the, prote the, the protest here? It's not you average man. These are the big shots, the people in charge, the rulers of the world, along with the religious systems of the world. This is an attempt on the part of the people in authority to destroy God's standards 
of right and wrong by replacing them with the values of man, which are always in opposition to the standards of God. What you get out of this way of thinking is confusion, but it's always been that way. In every protest, you never see, in every protest or riot, you never see the people in charge. You never see who's running the show. And the people you see out on the streets destroying private property, causing millions of dollars in damages, and even killing people who get in their way, these are the puppets on the hands of whoever is pulling the strings, because you never see who's in charge. And the person that can cause the most damage is not the ruthless gangster in your neighborhood selling drugs or trying to recruit young people to join him in a life of crime. The person that can cause the most damage is that evil genius working in a lab somewhere, building and designing the next weapon that is going to wipe out a whole bunch of people. That's the dangerous one, the one that is highly educated and knows how to do these things. It's the wicked politician who has the power to sign laws to legalize drugs and legalize abortion. It's the smart politician that has the power to get into your wallet in the form of taxes. They're robbing us blind. It's the godless person in a high position in the government who has the power to gather people to support him or support her in whatever he or she is trying to accomplish. The rebellion of mankind against God has been building up and will continue to build up. And we should expect to see, to see bloody days in the days ahead because the world, like I said, is heading in one direction and that is destruction. When the time comes for the Lord to take his church out of here, and Satan is given permission to run the world for a little while, everyone who hates God and Christians will be free to do whatever they want. And after all, that's what they want. And they'll have that chance for a little while. What the world will do after the Lord takes his church out of here is go on the biggest protest in human history. They'll get together and try to stop the Lord and this will be, like I said, one useless protest that will end up in a, it's going to end up in a bloody mess. When the time comes for Jesus to take over the world, Satan and all his puppets are not going to just hand it over and say, here it is. They're going to fight. And as the day of the return of our Lord draws near, we can expect to see more violence and more confusion because the world keeps redefining everything that is wicked and trying to make it look, trying to make evil look good. Verse 3 of Psalm 2 shows that they are unhappy with the way God's, God has set boundaries for the people. They say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Take, for example, the institution founded by God, the first institution that was the family. Now the family has no respect. Marriage is for the protection of the family. When a marriage falls apart, both families suffer, but the ones who suffer the most are the children. 
they pay the highest price. But people don't want to make that commitment anymore. They don't want to get married. They come up with fancy terms to justify their sinful lifestyles. They call it living together. They call it premarital sex, which is a nice fancy word for fornicating. That's what it is. Sodomites, we call them homosexuals. Some of them even have the nerve to say that it's a medical condition or blame God by saying that God made him this way. The Bible calls that an abomination. Leviticus 18.22. But if you say that this is a medical condition, it has to be accepted. And it's now an alternative lifestyle. Paul used a nice word to describe this twisted way of thinking. In your Bible, there are two kinds of abominations. One is an abomination unto God, and the other one is an abomination unto you. In the book of Leviticus, you find all the dietary laws, and God tells his people what to eat and what not to eat. And then he goes on to tell them, don't eat them, because they will be an abomination unto you. That's Leviticus 11. Verses 10, 11, 12, and many more. There's some things that are just so disgusting that they will make you sick. The sin of homosexuality is an abomination that makes God sick. Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. You know, the first time I read that, I was laughing my head off because Paul said it's not convenient for you to do that, something that is so sick. He said that these people do things that are not convenient. You know, the Bible, this Bible is like a kiss from God on a lost and dying world. And it's a beautiful book that should be enjoyed by the whole family. Paul chose the word convenient to describe something that is so sick and is absolutely in opposition to the, to the grand design of God. little side note here. Have you ever seen a gay wedding? It's so brief. It's so quick. There's nothing to it. It goes something like this. Do you, whatever you are, take this, whatever it is, to be whatever you want it to be, that's it. <laughs> you scratch it, you say, what? That's it, now that's it. You know, you talk about hypocrites. A man pretending to be a woman, or a woman pretending to be a man. When you look at this, you, you, you think that maybe it is a medical condition, because you will have to, men, have to be mentally unbalanced, mentally unstable, to think that same-sex marriage it's a normal, healthy relationship. But there's something more underneath this that we don't, that we don't see. That's the depravity. And God has turned some of these people over to their own reprobate mind to do whatever it is that they want to do. And he said, go right ahead and do it. 
try to witness to a homosexual or a lesbian. They're hateful people. I'm not saying that they're not redeemable. Some of them have come out of that lifestyle, but it's extremely difficult. They don't want anything to do with God. They hate Christianity. They hate the Bible. It's very difficult. And so God said, that's what you want. That's what you'll have. Go for it. Next, we have the legalization of drugs. They call it recreational marijuana. I always thought that recreation is when you go somewhere and have a great time, clean fun. But now, apparently, frying your brains with drugs is a form of recreation. It's interesting that the drug epidemic is claiming many lives and the fake media is not reporting on it. You never hear from the news outlets what is going on with the drug problem. But yet, if you drive around in our neighborhoods, you see the misery that is going on. People don't want to be ruled by God, and they're working very hard to throw off the authority of God. William Penn, I don't know who you, how many of you know who is William Penn? Who was William Penn? The founder of the state of Pennsylvania. He said this, those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. It's very simple. The concept is this. If you're not serving God, you are serving Satan. If you're not a child of God, you are ser- you're a child of the devil. If you're not on your way to heaven, you're on your way to hell. There's only two ways here. There's only two choices. When they say, let us break their bands asunder, what they're saying is, let us do away with the Ten Commandments. We want to be free and do what we want. But being a rebel, being a rebel has never been beneficial for anyone. I have had, I can't say that it's a privilege, but I have seen what being a rebel will put you through. Just take a look at a drunk, how much misery they put their families through. Take a look at a drug user. They become slaves to whatever drug they use, and in the process, they suffer, and whoever loves them is suffering right along with them. Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30 says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And I love this part. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The demands that God makes are not that difficult to obey. When we understand that he knows what's best, But the nations of the world don't want to be under the yoke of Christ. If you look around, you know that the light of the gospel is diminishing and is getting more and more difficult to witness. More and more our people are turning away from the Bible and less and less people are interested in learning anything at all. They'll embrace anything but Christianity. And even some of those people who make a profession of faith, some of them never show evidence that they belong to Christ. 
No nation on earth has or will have the power to stop Christ from setting up his kingdom. And when God says that it's time to do it, he's going to do it. Take your Bibles to Isaiah 40, verse 15. And we'll read something here. Isaiah 40, 15 and 17. We're going to skip one verse there. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing, nothing and vanity. No exceptions. He looks at the nations of the world and compares them with a drop of bucket that falls out of a bucket when, you, when a person is drawing water out of a well. I don't know if you've ever done that. I did that many times when I was young. When you drop a few, buck, a few drops of water out of the bucket as you're bringing it up, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a drop of, bucket, a drop of water out of a bucket. That's how the Lord sees this little globe where we live on. That's that tiny little thing. You want to see how insignificant we are? Look at a video of the solar system and look at the planet Earth. It's like a grain of sand when you compare it with everything that is out there. Another way that he looks at the nations is like a small dust that sticks to a set of balance. And when you weigh something on them, the tiny specks of dust have no effect on the items that you are weighing. He goes on to say that all nations, no exception, before him are as nothing, are accounted to him less than nothing. I'm not good at math, but I know that zero minus zero is zero. That's nothing. Okay? That should make any unsafe person feel very insignificant. It should humble them to know that the God we serve is absolutely awesome in every way. Verses uh, 4 and 5 of Psalm 2 tells you the reaction of God, the Father, to the foolishness of man and what he is going to do about it. This is a scary thing, and like Brother Table was saying this morning, you don't really get to know what's in the Bible until you break it, break it, take it apart, and, and see what's in it. This is frightening and difficult even for Christians to, to really comprehend. The God of love, the one that people don't think that he will do this, he's going to do it. I can tell you that. There is no ruler in the world that has the knowledge, the power, and the guts to do what he's going to do next. The God of love will laugh at a bunch of people that he's getting ready to kill. In order to understand this, we need to go back about 2,000 years or so and read the account of the crucifixion of Christ and what they did to him. They crucified an innocent man. They hang him naked on a cross for hours for everybody to see him. And that was not enough for the bloody, thirsty crowd. 
they mocked him and made fun of him as he suffered until he died. To be stripped naked in public is one of the most humiliating things that you can do to a person. And to think that they did this to the perfect, sinless Son of God. Do you think that God is going to allow anyone who rejects the sacrifice of Christ to get away with it? No, sorry, he won't. The enemies of God will one day see what happens when God runs out of patience. And this is the part that people don't like about God. When God gets angry, he doesn't get angry like we do. You know, we start kicking things and breaking things and throwing things up in the air. That's not what God does. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's in complete control in what, he's, what he will do. He doesn't even have to move a finger. The word derision here is mockery. He's going to make fun of these people before he squashes them like bugs. Proverbs 1, verse 26, I will, I'll also will laugh at you calamity, and I will mock when you fear cometh. Like I said, the world has never seen what happens when God displays his anger. A few years ago, I was witnessing to a guy at work. And he told me that when he sees Jesus, Jesus be, better be ready for him because he has a lot to say to Jesus. And they have, a, they have a long conversation, he said. Tough guy, you know, big time biker. He's uh, rough and tough. I said, yeah, sure. I reminded him that no one will have questions for, for Jesus. I told him that if he dies in his sins, he will see Jesus in judgment. For those of you who have seen cartoons, you know, I like, I like cartoons. When I was little, I used to watch them, you know. When you see the character on the cartoonish, and he's so shocked by what he sees that his lower jaw hits the floor, and then he picks it up and tries to put it back in place. That's the picture there, you know. When people see Jesus, they're going to be so shocked, they won't be able to stand. Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17, paints a very vivid picture of what God has in store for the wicked. There it says, verses 6, 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, in the rocks, of the mountains. To that list, you can add this. And every president of every nation, and every senator of the United States, and every governor of the United States, and every judge in the Supreme Court, and every congressman, and every mayor of every city, and every crooked man, you can just keep on going. Verse 16 and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Verse 17, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Verse 17 ends with a question, Who shall be able to stand? 
the answer is no one. No one of the enemies of Jesus will be able to stand or say anything to him, to him when he appears. Take your Bibles to Isaiah 63. Way back in Isaiah 63, we have a preview of Jesus coming in judgment. This is another one of those terrifying verses that when you read it and start to dig up and see what's in it, it makes you want to go find a place to hide, and there is no place to hide. In Isaiah 63, verse 1, someone asked a question, and here's the question. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And in the same verse, the Lord answers and says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Then another answer, I mean, another question is asked. 63 verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? 63 verse 3. I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me, and I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and, with, and their blood shall sprinkle upon my garments, and I will stain my, my raiment. My raiment, I'm sorry. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeem is come. The Lord is saying, I've been not killing people, stepping on them like bugs, and their blood splatter all over. And that's how I got my garments stained with blood. And I have done it all by myself. And that's the Lord I serve. There is only one way to have absolute peace in the world. God himself, we have to put away everything that is offensive to him out of his sight. But in order to do it, love and compassion needs to take a back seat. And yes, in, this, in the process of doing this, millions of people are going to die. That is a reality that, that we sometimes fail to, to see and acknowledge. For now, the name of Christ is blasphemed everywhere, every day. People cannot have a conversation without dragging the precious name of Christ through the dirt Verses 6 of Psalm 2 says this, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God is moving forward with his plan to the establishment of that kingdom where Jesus is going to sit on and no one is going to stop him. God speaks here in the present tense. He speaks as if it's already done. And you can forget about all the people that are kicking and screaming Forget about the multitudes of people that are telling the, the, the Christians to put the Bibles away and stop talking about the Lord. It's not going to happen. And we know that Jesus is coming. I can tell you for sure that is my prayer every day. I hope that he comes today. You know, when I see all these wicked things that are taking place, I say, Lord, please come today. Finish it today. <laughs> I would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> You know, but after saying all of this, you might be asking yourself, does this have anything to do with me? 
you and me. All you have to do is look around and consider the attitude of the American people. The name of Christ is used by many people only in filthy conversations. People are busy, even Christians, they're busy, extremely busy, wasting time, chasing things that will go up in flames one of these days. The Bible, the Bible publishers are busy twisting and corrupting the Word of God. And now you can buy a Bible, you can find a Bible that will accommodate any lifestyle. You name it, it's out there if you want it. Every five years or so, they come up with a new Bible. And they claim that it's better than the one before. How, could, how can it be better? And the unsuspected so-called Christian can't tell the difference. You try to share the gospel with the people out of your workplace, and you risk in losing your job. That's because many companies now, in many companies now, it's prohibited. You cannot tell your coworkers that you care about their soul and that you don't want them to end up in hell. You can't say that anymore. Many of these places will give you the boot if you do it. But false religions, systems, abortion, homosexuality, drugs, alcohol, foul language, and anything that is filthy is acceptable. For that, you have to make accommodations but for the one thing that will save people from ending up in hell, for that, is you can't say anything. All the people promoting all these things are nothing more than the enemies of Christ. And he will put them all away in order to set up his kingdom on, his, on this earth. This is not a beautiful picture, I understand that. But the judgment of God is going to be absolutely terrifying. When the whole world is in opposition, God says, I have set my king upon my holy hill. It is done, no questions asked. If there is someone here today who is not saved, I would like to extend an invitation to receive Christ as your savior today. And for phony Christians, maybe not here, but they're out there. They'll hear this. God knows who they are. Those who are exposed to the truth and turn their back on Christ, they're going to be held to a much greater condemnation. The Bible teaches that today is the day of salvation because we simply don't know he will have another day on this earth. That's all I got. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.